In the third song movement, the terrors of the first movement and the bitter sorrows of the second are left far behind. Both music and text evoke the joys of youth in nostalgic reverie. The absence of conflict is a pleasant diversion that provides relief from the tensions and gloom of the preceding movements. Yet this light-hearted, playful song movement occasionally turns wistful. In its use of pentatonic melodies and delicately refined orchestration, primarily colored by woodwind sonorities, von der Jugend is the quintessence of what Redlich referred to as an unobtrusive chinoiserie. The text, which Mitchell discovered to have been incorrectly attributed to Li Tai Po by Gautier and Betke, who wrote the book of Chinese poetry that Mahler used for the text, is typical of poetry of courtly manners so popular in medieval China. Comprised of seven strophes, the poem contrasts a narrative describing scenic beauty with a simple tale of a gathering of friends drinking and chattering, or writing down verses, as the text says. The strophes are organized in a tripartite structure with the first four contained in the initial A section, the fifth in the B section, and the last two in the reprise of the A section. Thus the formal plan is symmetrical, yet its sections are of uneven length. Half of the song movement is contained in the first A section, and only 22 measures are devoted to the contrasting B section. Mahler distinguishes the strophes that describe the landscape from those that depict a social gathering, by setting the former to scherzando-like music and the latter to a lyrical vocal line, accompanied by the scherzando music. The scherzando focuses on a playful, bouncy theme based upon the symphony's tone-row motto, decorated by trills and occasionally set against a perky counter-theme in strings with staccato and saltando articulation. The contrasting lyrical subject, used for the third and fourth strophes, floats gently in a summery atmosphere, entranced by what the text describes. This song movement of youthful merriment and seemingly untroubled serenity is one of the simplest and shortest movements Mahler ever included in a symphony. It is comparable in length only to the Blumina movement withdrawn from the first symphony and the Purgatorio movement of the incomplete tenth. In its decorative details, subtle touches, and light-hearted character, it is one of the most successful of Mahler's happy songs. It recalls the delicate refinement of Ich Atmen ein Lindenduft. Repetition of principal thematic material plays an important role here. Even the intrusion of a minor tonality in the fifth strophe does not seriously detract from the pervasive serenity, but only generates a trance-like state as the poetic text muses over the friend's reflection projected in the pool's still waters. Mahler may well have intended the minor tonality to function as the converse of the good cheer expressed in the music set in the major. The song movement concludes in the same bright and perky mood in which it began. Woodwinds seem to fly away at the close of the chipper eighth-note figuration that makes the principal theme so gay and carefree. An introduction for winds opens von der Jugend, after two light bell-like taps on the triangle reverberated on a horn. Waves of modal eighth-note figuration played by the second flute and oboe follow. Then the horn's bell-like sounds are repeated on each beat as the piccolo and first flute expand upon the opening figuration, decorated with trills light as air. 
clarinets have a counter theme that simply reorders the musical line played by the piccolo and second flute. This juxtaposition of different woodwind duets provides timbral variety. Horns add repeating staccato notes that give a rhythmic bounce to the floating figuration. Hints of the main theme are subtly worked into the music of the introduction, which stirs memories of the opening of the fourth symphony. Even the tempo markings of both contain the same word, behaglich, easygoing. When the tenor enters on the main theme to begin strophe one, the orchestration changes to strings with piccolo doubling the vocal line. First violins expand upon the woodwind theme from the introduction to play with the technique of bouncing the bow off the strings, which is called saltando. Repeating bell-like tones on the horn are transferred to second violins and violas and played staccato. The main theme scampers up the scale in contrast with the first violin's falling phrase. Then the theme takes a downward turn, falling diatonically on the notes of a B-flat chord. Elements from the introduction are cleverly integrated into the rest of the main theme. Woodwinds vary the introductory music during strophe two, to which the tenor sings a melodic line fashioned from the Ewigkeit motif in its embryonic form, as appears, for example, in Gingheut Morgan's theme used in the first symphony's opening movement. How similar is the gay atmosphere of Von der Jugend to that of the early Gesellen song? At the conclusion of the brief strophe two, woodwinds return to the introductory material, the piccolo ringing the bell tones with which the movement began four times, as if to sound the afternoon hour. The cellos suddenly intrude with repeating eighths that lead into a change of key to sunny G major, as woodwinds briefly expand upon the introductory music with the triangle adding its glittering tones on repeating eighths begun by the cellos. Here are the first two strophes of section A. Strophe three opens with the tenor singing a new theme, a somewhat sentimental tune that incorporates the diatonic and scalar elements of the main theme in the shape of the Ewigkeit motive. Violins double the vocal line, directed to play zart aber mit Empfindung, delicately but with feeling. Recalling Revelga's march rhythms, a repeating figure that omits the first beat of each measure gives this secondary theme a lilting delicacy that contrasts with the theme's flowing lyricism. Once again, the introduction's light-hearted music returns in woodwinds as a bridge to the next strophe. The tenor sings strophe four to a slightly modified version of the music used for strophe two. During an extensive orchestral interlude after the close of this strophe, the tonality turns to the minor. 
covering the introductory music with a grayish haze that momentarily darkens the horizon. The change of mood follows the description of the roguishly clad drinking companions, possibly a sly hint at our trink lead singer. Solo violin muses over the second theme during this orchestral transition to the B section. We'll now hear the third and fourth strophes to the end of the A section. In a more restful mood, the B section begins with strophe 5 in G minor. The tenor seems lost in a dream world as he describes the stillness of the little pool in which everything is so beautifully reflected. He muses on the second theme as, as it develops, first with a sighing two-note figure that is repeated by woodwinds against an extension of the solo violin's arching phrase that led into this section. During the brief thematic development that follows, shades of Kintototenlieder begin to appear in the melodic line. The Der Tagesschern figure from the fourth song of that cycle is sung to the word Teichus, pool, and also is used for the last word of the strophe, Spiegelbilde, mirror. Its downward resolution, sounding somewhat melancholy, as if to suggest that the reflection is not as wonderful as the text claims, Possibly Mahler casts a shadow over the pleasant scene at this moment because of our sleeping Trunkina. Even in the midst of this drink-induced dream, he subconsciously realizes that youth and happiness are ephemeral, all too quickly gone. The orchestral interlude that follows seems sullen as it extends the vocal line of the B section on the sighing figure in the second violins, echoed by the flutes on the motive of woe. The gloomy mood continues as strings play a variation of the second half of the main theme, sung to strophe two that ends with the sighing motive of the second theme. The tempo slows down as if grinding to a halt until it shifts gears at the end and returns to the sprightly opening tempo for the reprise of the A section. Here is the entire B section.
In this episode of Bemused Sobriety, our drunken dreamer may have recalled the disturbing graveyard scene of Trinklead that his drink-induced sleep was intended to stifle. The idea of a reverse reflection of an image in the still waters of the pool may be seen to connote an underside to the light-hearted gaiety expressed in this movement. Back in the sunlight of the A section, the tenor sings the last two strophes to an abbreviated version of both principal themes. Bright spirits dispel the clouds that appeared over this otherwise carefree dream world during the previous strophes. Could Mahler have associated the words of these final lines with the famous lines at the end of Faust that he so magnificently set to music only a few years before? The association of the f- reflected image of Gleichnis and the phrase Alles auf dem Kopf stehen, everything is standing on its head, with Unbeschreibliche, the undescribable, might have caused Mahler to wince a little at this unexpected reference to the eighth its message of redemption having been already undermined by the Trinkleed's nihilism. The last strophe follows immediately, with the tenor singing the second theme while violins accompany him with music from the introduction. Softly, the music climbs, echoing the singer on the second theme, as woodwinds scamper away on the introductory figuration, which diminishes to a whisper, and ends rather suddenly on a B-flat chord, with the tonic in the upper stratosphere of the violin's range. This warmly radiating chord both comports with the lyrical sentiments of the subsidiary theme and creates an atmosphere that anticipates the song movement that follows. Here is the final reprise of the A section with the last two strophes. Stop, next excerpt, track three, two minutes and 34 seconds to the end. Steht die Brücke, umgekehrt der Boden, 